Well, good morning and welcome to Journey. It's great to see everybody out today on a sunny Sunday morning, uh, the day the Lord's made for us to enjoy and to worship Him. And I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to today finish up this series that we've been in for a couple of weeks here called Cherish. And uh, we're talking about how do we treat the people in our life that matter, the people that are closest to us. And uh, the Bible speaks on that. And we're going to be talking about that. You know, some of you guys remember this. You've been around a while, but uh, in my 40s, I had a midlife crisis, like a lot of guys. And um, I bought a Jeep and a banjo. Fortunately, that's about as serious as it went uh, for that. But I always wanted a Jeep, so I bought a Jeep Wrangler, a green one. Uh, Some of you guys remember that. I drove it for several years. It really is a Jeep thing. It really is. But after a while, the Jeep thing got old to me, and so I sold it. I'd also always wanted to, to learn how to play the banjo. That's just one of my favorite instruments for some reason. So I, I bought one of those and I had a, uh, took lessons for a year. And I even uh, played a song one Sunday morning in church service. It was pretty forgettable. Just say that. It really was. I'm still trying to forget it. Uh, I wore my wife and children out practicing. I was very faithful. I practiced every night to their chagrin. And um, practice every night, and uh, one particular vacation in an RV. That's a whole other story we can talk about sometime. My teacher said, man, you're doing great. You're hitting every note. You're really doing well. But I could never hear the song come out of the, 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 the notes. I just couldn't hear it. And my teacher moved away, so I quit the banjo. Uh, just in time, Lori said, just in time. You know, I kind of regret that. I really do. I Looking back, I mean, I'm well past that now. And who knows how good I could be by now if I had just not quit too soon. Maybe a breakthrough was right around the corner on the banjo, you know? I don't know. You know, we all know stories about people who push through discouragement and adversity and difficulty and, and, and they finally succeeded. And we know stories of people who probably quit way too soon, whatever they were attempting. But I will tell you, I think nothing is probably sadder than a couple who decide to quit on their marriage. I know a lot of couples suffer through difficult times. They may suffer through the worst years of their life and marriage, and they get frustrated and quit. What happens sometimes, they miss out on the, what could have been the best years of their marriage. A lot of marriages go through some really difficult times, and there's never a guarantee that if you push through that things are going to get better and you get what you're hoping for, but there is a certainty that if you quit, you definitely won't get that. And let me just say this too, for some of you, I know that it's not all one person. I understand that. Maybe it's not always up to you at all. You may be the only one in the relationship that's putting forth any effort at all, and you certainly can't do it alone. But I, I want to challenge you, if you're discouraged and wondering, should I give up? I want to encourage you to hang in there and, and, and if all, at all possible, just keep on. Don't quit too soon. Don't quit too soon, all right? So that's some encouragement there. But anyway, we've been talking for a couple of weeks now about how to cherish your spouse. And we talked about the fact that if you're married, you probably at some point took a vow that you were going to cherish this person and love them as well. And we talked about how the effort to do that is certainly worth it for the reward that will come. And last week, I gave you five principles or five ways to cherish your spouse. And, and I did say it is uh, directed both to the wife and the husband. Uh, you are to cherish each other. It's not a one-way street. And also, I, I emphasize that if you're not currently married, that these are principles that will work in any relationship of life that you have. They will work. They, they are a great way to treat people 
that you love and you care for. So today I'm going to give you the, the, the second batch of five, the other five to the, in this t- list of 10 to encourage you. And, and I just want to, I hope this has been some encouragement to you in whatever situation you may be, that you'll learn to treat people better and in turn, hopefully be treated better yourself. So I want to go back first of all, and just review, just run through the first five uh, principles that I gave you last week about how to cherish your spouse. Number one, look at your spouse as the only woman or man in the world. Don't compare them to anybody else. Look at them just for who they are and the one that God has brought you into the world to be married to. Secondly, showcase your spouse's best side. We all have a best side. We all have a worst side. Showcase your spouse's best side. Be the one that makes the beautiful or the handsome more beautiful, more handsome. Thirdly, honor, take an interest in, and pay attention to your spouse. Remember last week we talked about the fact that sometimes uh, we just kind of take each other for granted, and we don't notice them. We don't see how they're changing, how they're growing, uh, but pay attention to them. Number four, protect your spouse instead of attacking them. Be a protector of your spouse. And then number five, breathe life into your spouse, that you have the ability to bring them to life in spite of their past and uh, of the issues that they've dealt with in the past, that you can bring them to life. So today I will look at five more principles to wrap up this series that will help improve any relationship. So number six, cherish them through your words. Cherish the person you love through your words. Most of us underestimate the power of our words. We throw words out sometimes without thinking sometimes, but in reality, we can speak life or death into another person. The Bible says that in Proverbs chapter 18, the tongue has the power of life and death. What we say can hurt people. It can lash them. It can damage, wound them. Words have the power of life and death. Uh, Some of you have studied the five love languages. You know that one of the five love languages that maybe your spouse needs or, or, or leans toward is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Do the words that you say speak breath breathe life into your spouse? Do they speak life or, or an encouragement or do they discourage them? Does the tone that you use speak life into them? Because sometimes the tone is as important or maybe more important than what you actually say. But your words really do matter. You really, they really do matter. You know, you've heard the old, uh, probably heard the old statistic that says that women use an average of 20,000 words a day and that men use an average of 7,000 words a day. And that a lot of times when women come home, uh, uh, when the husband comes home, he's already spoken his 7,000 words, and the wife is just getting started, you know, and, and needs to speak. I don't think those statistics are really true, because I know some men that are big, big talkers. But the reality is that words really matter. They matter. And to be honest with you, not to stereotype, but sometimes words matter more to women than they matter to men. They want to hear and see, have more conversation. You know, Gary Thomas, the guy that wrote this book called Cherish, and by the way, this message series is not comprehensive of the book, so you might want to read that book. But Gary Thomas suggests that we need to be more curious about our spouse and that we need to ask them to tell us more about whatever it is that interests them and excites them. And, and that, you know, sometimes is something that we don't do. We try to get as little as information as possible and give as little information and sometime in our conversation. But how would you feel if instead of getting ignored or answered in one syllable, your spouse actually responded with real conversation? 
and maybe even ask you some questions to help, help prolong the conversation. I mean, that would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? If you threw something out that you wanted to talk about and your spouse actually grabbed that and did something with it. And guys, let's be honest here because sometimes we're like that and we don't talk a lot. Remember last week we talked about how our spouse makes a bid for our attention, that they make a bid and we, they, we decide are we gonna accept the bid or are we gonna ignore the bid? They ask a question, they throw out a topic or, or something, we either acknowledge it or we ignore it one or the other. So, uh, you know, what I've found about men is that sometimes men can sit for hours and not say anything and be perfectly content, just not talk. A couple of guys working together, you can work together and you don't have to be talking the whole time. It's okay, you're comfortable about that. You're, you know, guys can do that. Women, on the other hand, sometimes when they work together uh, and they, they like a, converse, a lot of conversation. And so there can be some conflict in the way that we respond with our spouse. So guys, if your wife initiates a conversation, see it as her making a bid for your attention, for, for you to respond to them and, and respond in some way. You know, the Bible uses a comparison. We talked about this last week, I believe, about Christ and the church, that Christ is the groom, the church is the bride, and uh, he illustrates that relationship, obviously, between husbands and wives. So in that situation, Christ is the initiator in the relationship. And so, guys, we need to be the one to initiate the things that are meaningful to our spouse. Be the initiator and certainly be the responder uh, if a conversation is, is brought up. And both for husbands and wives, did you realize that you have the main responsibility in your spouse's life for sowing words of belief and admiration? That other people can compliment them and encourage them, but your words really mean more than anybody else. So it's your God, job to be their biggest fan their chief advocate, their encourager, and their cherisher. And remember, to cherish our spouse means that we speak softly and gently. The tone, the words, obviously important, that we never speak harshly. We guard our tone in all we say and always affirm the gospel. Now, how do we affirm the gospel in our spouse? We do that by offering up God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and pardon, affirmation, acceptance, and undeserved love unmerited love. That's how God treats us. So if we're going to treat our spouse in the way that God treats us, we've got a great example, but all these things come into play. So understand that we, our words make a huge difference in our spouse's life. Number seven, discover and then cherish the uniqueness of your spouse. Let me tell you something you probably already figured out if you've been married more than a day. Your spouse is different than you. They are different than you, and that's probably what attracted you to them. Probably is. What do, we, what do we hear? Opposites attract. It really is true. But the things that often attract us to our spouse will likely become the things about them that drive us crazy. What we really were drawn to will be the thing that, that really we get tired of down the road. And that, that's just kind of how human beings are. Cherishing each other requires dealing with the real particular person, spouse, and it's determined in a lot of ways by their uniqueness because everybody is unique. Just like it's not fair to compare your spouse to somebody else, it also doesn't work to expect them to act or respond to you or to some situation uh, the way you'd expect them to do or what you think everybody else might do. Now, there are a lot of stereotypes out there about men and about women, and we hear those things and you know what wives should be and what husbands should be. 
But if your spouse is not typical, remember a stereotype is supposedly typical, what everybody is, but if your spouse isn't typical, then you need to be more curious and try to discover how non-typical they really are. I'm not going to ask a show of hands for you to tell me if you think your spouse is non-typical, because most of us are, right? We're all unique, and especially the difference between what our expectations, what our thoughts are about someone, they're probably not going to match that person that we're married to. The reality is that we're all shaped by our childhood. We're all, we're all shaped by our family of origin, our experiences. All those things are going to shape us and make us. And this person that you fell in love with is probably not going to be uh, exactly what you expected. But a cherishing marriage is built on intimate understanding, not stereotypical assumptions. Like, I just know what they're going to do, what they're going to think, what they're going to want. It may not be true. None of us want to feel like we married an ordinary person. Oh, he's just ordinary. No, he's not. You know, she's not ordinary. We're all extraordinary. You wouldn't marry someone who was, wasn't extraordinary, right? And you have to treat them in an extraordinary way, understanding their uniqueness, understanding what makes them tick and what they need. I love the story uh, about Dave Wilson. He's pastor at um, Kennington uh, Community Church. And uh, he was the kind of golden guy, you know, the guy everybody looked up to. He was a college Hall of Fame quarterback, number one pick of the New Orleans Saints. But all of his life, he was a golden boy. And uh, it was the apple of his mom's eye. He was a high school quarterback, the high school point guard, the high school shortstop, all the glamorous positions in sports. Man, he played all of them. He was a lead singer in a rock band. He was the homecoming king, successful at everything he tried. Always the golden guy. He married, a, 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 you know, really well. Her name was Anne. She was beautiful, the envy of all of his friends. But Dave, who did everything right everywhere else, couldn't seem to do much right at home. And uh, he couldn't understand why uh, he made everybody else uh, um, appreciated him, why he often disappointed his wife. And uh, he was just Dave, you know. He was the guy at home that didn't always know what he should do and, and disappointed Anne. But one, one time at a joint speaking event, Anne didn't understand this, but at this event, Dave explained to the crowd in front of his wife there, he said, it feels like I've been cheered my whole life. My mom, my coaches, my fellow players, the fans, the people who come to church where I preach, and they'll all be cheering me. And then I'd come home and Anne would be saying, boo, boo, she'd be booing me. He said, I don't know how I could please so many people and yet deeply disappoint my wife. And that was the first time that he'd ever shared that feeling, and he did so publicly. I'm sure she was, was crushed, but she understand that she needed to work hard to try to affirm him because he was a little bit different. And that don't, don't feel like that because he had been a winner all of his life that she had to cater him to, to him, but she just under, needed to understand this is how he felt. And you know what? Your spouse needs to know that you love them and that you affirm them in the way they, needed to be, they need to be affirmed, not just what you think you should do. Again, you know, I used that analogy last week. The guy told his wife, you know, uh, when he got married, he loved her and things change, I'll let you know. You know, women need to hear more than that. And they need to be affirmed more and more, not just once in their life. So you're going to be the one that can help build up your spouse's confidence, help heal their past, shape their future, and help them become the person that God really intended for them to be. And if your spouse is atypical or non-typical, whatever you say that, and most of us are, and you've been making assumptions about how they should feel, 
and telling them how they should feel, which men sometimes tend to do that. Um, if you do that, there may be time to reassess who they are and change your tactics a little bit. Because your spouse is unique, just like you are, and needs to be seen and treated that way. And by the way, this goes well beyond marriage as well. When you think about this, think about this in the aspect of parenting. Well, your child is unique. They're different. They need to be treated in a different way, maybe disciplined, maybe loved, uh, affirmed in a different way. But every relationship that you have deals with a unique individual in the workplace, your neighbors, your friends, everybody is unique. And they need your understanding and your affirmation. Figure out who they are, what they need, and how you can affirm them. Number eight, acknowledge your spouse is going to stumble and cherish them through it. Acknowledge that your spouse is going to stumble and then cherish them through it. You, you know what I love about an iPhone? About everything. I mean, an iPhone is just pretty awesome. You know what I hate about an iPhone? If you got an iPhone, you know it's a battery, isn't it? The battery is great for about six months, and then after that, the battery begins to lose its strength. I don't know if that's true with everything, but the first six months, you plug it in at night, you don't worry about it till the next night. But as it gets older, what happens is the, you have to recharge the battery more often. You know, maybe at mid-afternoon, you got to plug it in. And then every couple hours. And then when you get to the place where mine is now, uh, if you can plug it in, you better do it. You know, you just better keep it plugged in all the time if possible. Because once it starts fading, it doesn't get, it doesn't get any better. And uh, at about the two-year mark, I think they do it on purpose, your, you, your battery wears out, you just get a new phone. And the same thing is true with marriages in a lot of ways, if you think about it. There's a honeymoon period where the, the person seems to be perfect. You know, you don't worry about it at all. But then the passion begins to drain. And the longer it goes, sometimes it gets worse and worse until the couple finally give up, trade each other in, and start over with a new model. And then they go through the same process over and over again. The reality is that because we're all human, we got a fallen nature. We have a fallen nature we are sinners, all of us are, and, in, and we see that fallenness probably in marriage worse than anywhere else. Did you ever marry this person and then find out they weren't exactly who you thought they were? And you were disappointed? Should not have been disappointed because none of us are who people really think we are. We're all fallen. Um, and our spouse knows this like nobody else. Now, I know a few people who think they're perfect and never make a mistake. I can't imagine being married to one of those people. I really can't. Wouldn't that be a challenge? In fact, the Bible says in James chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways. So if you're going into marriage, you think you're marrying the perfect person, I can, don't even know them. I'll tell you, they're not. They're not, and you're not either because we all stumble in many ways. So if you want to build a marriage where you keep cherishing each other, then you have to kind of get over this idea and the hurdle of expecting your spouse to be perfect. Now, I'm sure you don't truly expect them to be perfect. I'm sure you're realistic in that. But here's the thing. The way they are imperfect is what drives you crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's probably some things you could let go, but what they do just kind of drive you crazy. Have you ever thought, man, I would cherish them if it wasn't for this, this, and this? Everything else is good, but those things drive me crazy, and they can almost be a deal breaker sometime. So to cherish your spouse, you have to become a good forgiver. And you have to show mercy as you have been shown mercy as well. Remember, we affirm the gospel of Christ in our spouse by loving, forgiving them, and showing them grace. 
Someone said that marriage is the art of learning how your spouse stumbles and cherishing them through that. So when you find yourself complaining about your spouse, about their little little imperfections, remember six words. This is how my spouse stumbles. Since all of us stumble at times, think about this in those times when you're a little crazy. Okay, so this is how my spouse stumbles. Or this is how my child stumbles. Or this is how my friend. Or this is how my boss stumbles. This is how the people that I care about that I need to be, you know, loving, loving toward, this is how they stumble. Instead of thinking about how immature your spouse is and how difficult and and angry you are when they stumble, think about how your response reveals your own spiritual maturity. We can always look at them and say, well, they're so immature. But your response reveals your immaturity. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Where in the world can you show these virtues that are a command, by the way, another suggestion, where can you show these virtues more clearly than in marriage? I don't know of anywhere else. Think about how things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, forgiveness and love, how those things would impact the people in your life if, you, if we showed them in the measure that we should, an increasing measure. At the same time, it seems like that um, we, we view our spouse's failures as somehow less spiritual than we are. And I guess that's how we measure people comparing to ourselves. We're tempted to compare ourselves to our spouse instead of comparing ourselves to Christ. So if you stop comparing yourself to, to your spouse and start comparing yourself with the scripture we just read and what Christ tells us to do, you're probably going to change the way you feel and the dynamics of your marriage. Here's the thing, sometimes we give other people more grace than we give our spouse. We have higher expectations toward them, I guess, uh, but we give them less grace. You know, we say, oh, you know, that's just how so-and-so is, but we don't say that about our spouse, do we? We don't give them that kind of credit. We're quick to jump to conclusions and accuse them, or maybe we use sarcasm or joking at their expense. Doesn't your spouse expect or deserve the benefit of the doubt before you jump to some accusation as to their motives or maybe their actions? The Bible says that we ought to live in an understanding way with our spouse, understanding. That means we give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and we show these virtues that we just talked about. So number nine, develop the art of cherishing. Developing the art of cherishing. The things that we've been talking about I believe, can transform your marriage. I told you early on in the series that these were some things that I never thought about. They probably would have certainly helped me years ago if I had known these when I were first married. We probably could avoid some of the challenges in our marriage, but, but these things can transform your marriage. And I, and I heard someone ask a question that, that deserves some thought. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if God designed marriage more to make us holy than to make us happy? What if marriage was more for our sanctification and not for our satisfaction? 
How would we look at it in that way? Maybe a little bit differently. Marriage can be transforming for our spiritual lives. It can help us develop patience and love and show grace and a lot of things that we all need to do anyway and we're commanded to do. But sometimes it's that one-on-one relationship and even conflict that helps us mature and grow in our spiritual lives. Look at it that way. Now, some of the things that we've been talking about in this, in this study uh, can, can take work and time to perfect. Some of these things are just quick fixes, but sometimes the habit of them are going to take a while. And if we could do them all right off the bat, you know, it would be great, but we can't. So cherishing is something that we have to commit to and work on and grow in. Have you ever watched an artist work? Ever, ever seen that? A few years ago, we went out west, um, out to uh, uh, Portland to see our, our son, and we, we watched a, gl- a guy blowing glass. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody do it or not, but that's an amazing art, and it looks so easy. I mean, they would just stick this glass ball of glass in there, and it would melt, you know, and then they'd bring it out, and they'd shape it, and, and then, but they made a beautiful uh, little dust catcher, what it is. Um, <laughs> But it was so cool, we bought it, you know. But I mean, just seeing that, it was like, wow, that's amazing how they could do that. It looks so easy, like I could do that myself. We can't do that, you know. We can't do those things. But they, they've been doing them all their lives for a long time. And when we don't see the hours of practice and the commitment they've spent developing their talent, and that's what we have to do. But is, aren't the relationships in our life worth that kind of investment and that kind of commitment to make them better? hard work, commitment, sacrifice, repetition. Same thing is true with cherishing when you think about it. See, it's not a choice. It's a hundred choices. It's a thousand choices. It's a hundred thousand choices that you make to cherish the people in your life. And we have to grow and develop develop a pattern there. And and at first it's going to seem strange and unproductive and nothing's going to help, nothing's going to change. But let me give you a couple ways to choose to cherish that really I think will make a difference. First of all, use your mind to change your heart. Use your mind to change your heart. The Bible says in Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What if we gave thought to how we responded to our spouse or the people we love? What if we gave, what if we gave thought to what we could do to make their life better? Talked about that last week. What can I do to make your day better? So use your mind to change your heart. Secondly, intentionally sacrifice for your spouse. Sacrifice for your spouse. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on my way to work and I heard the radio host, you know, sometimes they just wear us out with conversation. But anyway, they were talking about a couple who were traveling from Japan to the US, a 12 hour flight. And they had bought coach, but because the guy traveled a lot himself, uh, he had the miles to upgrade to first class, but his wife didn't. Think about how that would go over. So he planned to do that, and he justified it by saying, hey, it's an overnight flight. We're just going to be asleep. Doesn't matter, right? That's a bad idea. And I got a feeling your trip to U.S. is not going to be enjoyable the whole time. That doesn't cut it in a cherishing marriage. Sacrifice sacrifice shapes and changes your heart. Sacrifice for your spouse. He should let her do it if you're going to use the the miles. Next, hug a lot. 
Have you ever noticed that over time we then become more distant, not only relational, but sometimes physically? Couples who are distant from each other seldom ever touch. Another suggestion, value them as a treasure. You have a treasure in your spouse, a unique treasure unlike anybody, anything else. And your attitude toward them makes a difference in how you treat them. Value them. Next, make their dreams come true. Now, this is a hard one, and it depends on the size of the dream, but it's hard sometimes. You know, Lori always wanted a red convertible. Some of you know this little story. I always want a red convertible. All of our marriage want a red convertible. I mean, we have four kids. Convertibles are two doors. Not very practical, you know, and uh, so we never had a red convertible. A couple years ago, uh, all our kids were gone, obviously, and uh, I was able to make that a reality. It was a 20-year-old convertible. She should have had 20 years ago, I guess, but she was tickled with it, you know, and, and when she drove that, drives that with the top down, it makes me smile. Uh, unfortunately, we're both so old that it's hard to get down there in it, so we got something else. But, you know, I was able to make that dream come true. And then make your marriage the most important human relationship in your life. Make your marriage the most important human relationship in your life. We love our kids. We love our kids. But your marriage, your family cannot be kid-centric. Cannot be focused on your kids. If it is, uh, they're going to leave you someday. And you're going to wonder what happened. You're going to lose that. So make sure that your family is marriage-centric, not child-centric. And then lastly, to wrap us up, number 10, this is the hardest one, hardest principle of all, evaluate yourself. Evaluate yourself. What makes it hard to cherish you? If you're asking someone to cherish you, what makes it hard? What could you, what could you change? We all want to be cherished, but if we're honest, you know, there are probably some things in our life that challenge our spouse. They really do. We could all be a little more likable and lovable at times. A little less grouchy maybe at times. Our flaws are going to impact, inconvenience, and hurt our spouse more than anybody in our lives. Everybody else has to deal with this, you know. Our, our spouse shouldn't have to deal with this like that. And we know, like we said before, marriage seems to amplify everything. We need to be honest and humble about our weaknesses. Things that we could change. Things like our personality quirks. Things like our habits, our words, maybe our weight or our looks. How much thought do you try to give to the girl or guy who fell in love with you? Do you take them for granted? Do you even care anymore how they feel about you? Some people get to that point, I don't care how they feel about me, you know? We're kind of stuck and they don't seem to care. And you can see, obviously, how people retreat to their corners and it doesn't matter. And sadly, some people don't seem to care at all about how their spouse feels about them until it's too late. Until it's too late. And so many times a person only tries or only changes things or talks about changing when their spouse threatens to leave. And by then, the decision is already made. Like a friend of mine told me that once they start leaving, they're hard to stop. Right? Really is true in relationships. We all want to be cherished. But we can all make it a little bit easier to cherish us, Right? We could be easier to cherish. Now, before we leave this topic and wrap it up, I want to remind you again that regardless of where you are in human relationships, that you are cherished by God. You are cherished by God. People will come and go. We all fail each other. Remember that scripture that we all stumble. All of us do. I stumble. You stumble. 
But we have a God who is full of grace and mercy. And aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us when we stumble? That he doesn't just throw us away. That he cherishes us. And even if you've been hurt by other people, your father will never reject you. Never reject you. While the mercy and grace of other people may fail, and we do fail each other, he, unlike us, can look beyond our struggles, our weaknesses, our imperfections, and he can see beauty. And that's what he sees when he looks at you through Jesus Christ. And he longs, in fact, to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to feel the cherishing that he has for you. And that's why he sent Jesus to our earth. We know there is a God, but we didn't know how much he loved us until he sent Jesus. And that's the difference that Jesus makes in our life. And if you are not in a relationship with Christ, I would love to have that conversation with you about why God cares about you and what he did, the extent of his love that, that, that he did to show you how much he loves you and how you can live in a way that you find joy and peace in spite of what's going on around you, in spite of the people in your life who may have hurt you, in spite of the circumstances of your current life, that God can give you that grace and that peace. And I'm going to be up front here in a bit if you want to come up and, and talk to me about that. I also want to encourage you. You know, this is an, an area that uh, Dan said something a few moments ago about the power of prayer. And prayer has the ability to change things. Sometimes we give up on relationships, we give up on people, but our prayer changes things. It changes people and it changes us. And sometimes I think we pray more for what God is doing in our life than we are, than we do about what God changes around us. Because God can change our hearts and our minds. He can change those things dramatically. And that would be my challenge to you this morning, that if you are struggling or you're in a place where you are not sure what to do, or you know that things aren't the best they could be in relationships or in circumstances, whatever it may be, prayer is powerful. And we want to open this time up and make this a time of prayer. Feel free to come forward. We'll have someone who'll step up to pray with you. I'll be available. Tony will be up here. Zach can step up. Uh, just come up and talk to us. And, and, you know, don't leave this place with a hurt on your heart that hasn't been addressed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. And Lord, as we, um, we've talked about how we treat one another, we know that, that you set the perfect example. Uh, Lord, um, we fall on your mercy and your grace. And in our brokenness, God, we all stumble. But God, we know that you restore and you heal and lift us up. So God, that is my prayer this morning, that you would, uh, you would encourage us, Lord, with the burdens that we've carried in, that God, we would lay them at your feet. God, uh, that, that people who are struggling and just need to be loved on or touched or prayed with would have the boldness just to step up and seek that, God. Your word says, if we seek, we'll find. Lord, I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together and worship.